Uh, welcome everyone um, to tonight's event, Meet FEDEC um, and the Melbourne launch, uh, Reclaiming the Voice for Australia's Refugees. I wish to begin by acknowledging the traditional uh, owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and um, on the land on which we've gathered here today. It always will be and always is Aboriginal land. Uh, we wish to pay our respects to the local people for allowing us to have the gathering in this land and um, to their elders past, present and future. We'd also like to thank the uh, team at MESMA for allowing us to host the event today, um, this evening. MESMA Studio is a co-working and multimedia art space in Coburg, acting as a community hub for creating collaborative environments for people from all disciplines. Uh, this event is licensed, and so please make sure you do not... Is, don't take your drinks outside, basically, <laughs> to, to make things short. Um, the bar will be serving beverages until 9pm and Mesmer have kindly um, offered to donate 10% of all the proceeds from the bar um, to FedEx campaign today. So make sure you drink up responsibly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and a little bit of housekeeping. Um, feel free to... Uh, Sit on the front as well. We've had some cushions. We've got some crates. Make yourself comfortable. It is an intimate experience and a safe space tonight to be talking about such an important event and topic. Um, bathrooms to the back left. We have two uh, fire extinguishers, one in the kitchen and one right at the back, and emergency exits down the stairs um, and out the front, that the way you got in. Um, also, the amazing team behind today's event uh, the wonderful Road to Refugees, uh, Refuge uh, volunteers for giving their time to put together a fantastic event. Um, and be sure to follow, tweet or post about tonight. Um, the Twitter, Twitter handle is Road2, number two, um, Refuge. Um, uh, Facebook is at Road to Refuge. Um, or FedEx page, at Meet FedEx. Is that right? Yeah. And hashtag Meet FedEx. Make sure you do take photos with FedEx and say, hey, I met Fadek. So you have evidence. He's uh, the first in Melbourne, I believe, and um, so it's a special night. Um, a bit about me, I'm Celia Tran, I'm your MC for tonight. I'm so honoured to be here. Um, Fadek's a good friend of mine and we've met through our, our volunteer work at Harmony Alliance, which is the national uh, women's uh, peak body for refugee and migrant voices. Um, and... Uh, my parents were refugees uh, 33 years ago. Uh, they hopped on a boat um, and headed towards somewhere where they hoped to have a better life um, at the end of the Vietnam War. Spent five days at sea and uh, lucky enough to be um, safely um, taken by Indonesian um, officers into the uh, Indonesian refugee camp. And, yeah, I'm here today because of the, the great... Um, generosity of Australian people and the humane refugee policies um, uh, during the uh, 80s and 90s. Um, and like many of you today, I'm so excited to hear your story. Um, and this is an issue so close to all of our hearts, so I believe that's why you're all here today. And so make the most of it. I hope you get, do get something great out of it. And you may see on your... Um, seats, you may be sitting on it, um, post-it notes and a pen. Um, do write down uh, some questions during our Q&A component, which brings me to um, quickly run through the night, the agenda. We will be um, having, uh, this on the night, a live a discussion with Fedek and the lovely ladies behind the refugees on air, which I'll talk a bit about in a bit. Together they will discuss the important, uh, importance of supporting people from refugee backgrounds to reclaim their story, um, how Australia's welcome can change lives and how you can be in involved in supporting Meet FEDEC's campaign. This is followed by a short Q&A, so be sure to write some questions down, which we'll grab from you at the end. And um, also we will end the night with some mingling and some uh, meet and greet, so do stick around for that as well. So now I'd like to move on to the more exciting bit, which is meeting Fedek and hearing her story. And so I'd like to introduce uh, to you, I'm going to read out her awesome bio. 
Fedek is a community lawyer, advocate and refugee. Fedek is head of Meet Fedek, a campaign for a higher annual refugee intake by Australia. A community legal work upholds human rights and ensures access to legal services for those marginalised. Before her current work in the community development, Fedek worked uh, in the refugee rights sector. Her work in settlement services was vital to newly arrived refugees. Fedek was the Director of Advocacy and RISE and she is passionate about building and mobilising communities. Fedek is an international and local speaker and commentator and has had her work featured in Al Jazeera, The Age, New Matilda, Right Now and Catalogue. Fedek is also a local and federal government advisor to add to the many things that she's doing. How incredible. And I'd also like to introduce these two lovely young ladies here um, who've joined us today. Uh, Sarah and Maya, Maya uh, Gasali, uh, who are only 16 years old. You should be in bed. Uh, <laughs> don't you have school? <laughs> should be studying. Uh, they're Syrian twins who have migrated from Aleppo to Melbourne in May 2012. They are passionate volunteers at Sin Media, a great organisation, by the way, and produce and host their own podcast, uh, Refugees on Air, which is, will be recorded live tonight. At such a young age, they conduct intelligent interviews with inspiring refugees and share their stories to a broader audience around the world. The work has been recognised and mentioned in many articles, including uh, New Humans of Australia and the SBS News show The Feed. They aim to continue producing episodes, educate the public on growing refugee crisis and spark change in the world. So please give a big warm welcome to Sarah, Maya and Fedek. Thank you so much, Celia, for that. Um, it's so, so wonderful to be here with everybody, you know, to, um, for this amazing campaign for an amazing woman. Um, yeah, do you want to I'm really proud of you for that. <laughs> yes, I'm really happy to be here. So um, how, does it, how does it feel to come this far and, you know, launch this amazing campaign with Road to Refuge? Um, firstly, thank you, everyone, for being here tonight and for making time. Is this... Can you hear me? Um, how this campaign started was, let me tell you a little bit about that. So <laughs> about nine months ago, I approached Sam and others at Road Refuge um, who've helped me put this night together tonight. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, and I was like, hey, um, I really want to do um, a refugee campaign. Um, I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to travel around Australia. I'm going to travel to all the major cities. I'm going to meet um, lots, lots, lots and lots of people. And I'm going to change, um, increase the annual refugee intake from 13,000 to 44,000 per year. And I'm going to do that before the year ends. <laughs> um, and, you know, which, you know, gave us like three months, but that was ridiculous. Um, and, uh, you know, we went into planning, planning mode and thinking about how we could... Um, make it happen and, you know, realising that we only have a little bit of resources and um, not that much time and all that sort of stuff. Um, but so, so we started planning for the, the, camp, the campaign. Initially, we wanted to call it um, FedEx Story and it would be about my story and me interviewing um, lots of refugees and collecting stories and documenting it along the way, um, which has just come out, you know, it eventuated into such a, a massive campaign, into um, a campaign that you know has is obviously it bringing lots of really awesome people together. Um, so here we are. So we at the moment we are planning for five, five stops um, around in, in Victoria, um, and in, you know in, within just the last week we've already received requests from South Australia, WA, you know um, Sydney and Brisbane, which is just ridiculous and so overwhelming. Um, but it just so shows like the um, the thirst for such stories and um, for powerful narratives around refugees because I think we're definitely missing that at the moment. We're missing it so much that people forget that refugees are also human and refugees are also just like them. And we see this happening all over the globe. It's not just in Australia. Like we, it's you know it's happening in the US at the moment. You know with people you know going across the border trying to seek asylum, but are not absolutely not treated humanely. Um, so, 
it, it is time to, to, you know, reclaim the narrative and to remind people that people, you know, refugees are just like them. And more importantly, remind our leaders, I think, because a lot of us know, know this, a lot of us have supported refugees in some way or another, but I think our leaders have forgotten and we, we, we need to remind them, remind them of that. Perfect. Yep. Yep. That's such a wonderful campaign for Dak, and you're so lucky to have um, Road to Refuge to support you throughout all of it. Yeah. Really so good. glad to be a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> you can't tell already. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Before we go to the next question, yeah. I'm sure everyone here wants to know which is which. So which which twin is it? Yes. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm Sarah. And who's older and who's the boss? Me. Okay. Me. Um, <laughs> look, <laughs> I'm Maya. I am the younger one by four minutes, but still that counts. doesn't count. It still counts. <laughs> still counts. Trust um, me. Yeah, but I think I'm a little more mature. Oh, <laughs> say that again. Um, no, <laughs> to ask another question. Okay. Move <laughs> <laughs> on. All right. For Dak, would you like to tell us a little bit about your journey from Iraq to Melbourne? Sure. Um. So my family, we fled Iraq in 2003, just after the invasion, um, which ironically Australia was, was a big part of. Um, and it, it's interesting talking to people who were in Australia at the time, whilst you know, me and my family were in Iraq. And pe- you know, people who I meet nowadays in my tour who resisted the war and resi- you know, were a part of res- you know, protest against it. Um, yeah, it's just really heartwarming. But basically, um, my my mother and my sisters, we were uh, in Iraq in 2003. So, I mean, my first memory of, of the invasion was probably early 2003 when we started preparing for the for the invasion. And I, I was 10 years old. Um, I had no, obviously had no idea what, 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 it, what a war is, is and what, what, the, what an invasion is. Um, and I... I recall, you know, um, the adults around me, like, talking about the Americans and that the Americans who were coming here, and I had no idea who the Americans were and, and why they were coming to, to Iraq. Um, I often tell people the only thing I knew about the Americans was, like, from Titanic. Um, <laughs> this was really popular at the time or earlier. Um, I was probably too young to watch that movie, but oh well. <laughs> um, and, I mean, I remember my... My mum preparing for the war just before it began, um, and she had been through at least you know two other major wars, you know, a war with with Iran and with Kuwait. So my mum knew how to prepare for it. She's been through all of that, and I rem- remember her putting sticky tape on the windows because when um, during bombs and because of the impact, you know you're. Uh, w- windows shatter and they hurt, you know they hurt people and that's like my first memory of of pr- preparing for the war um and i mean it 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 really made sense because uh, a couple days after the invasion we we did go through bombs and we did um i mean it was, it was frightening like bombs generally happen at night sometimes we'd hear sirens and we had to seek shelter and I I know you have very similar experiences um and it it just feels like everything is shaking the whole house shakes and everything is falling off the shelves and you just have to you know find find somewhere to to be safe and uh, we lived in an area where there, there was um a lot of government ministers in Baghdad, so there was a lot of attacks on, on that area. So it was more um, t- targeted by the Americans because they were looking for, you know, p- political leaders and that sort of stuff. Yep. So I remember that that happening, and then there was a, qu- a quiet few days with, with you know, uh, ceasefire, I guess, or mm-hmm. no, no bombs. And that's when my family decided that we can't stay in our house anymore because it was too dangerous. So we became internally displaced people, which is someone who can't live in their house anymore as, as a result of, of danger. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were living in another city in Iraq in the south, which we thought that would be, you know, safer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then after the invasion completed, we came back. To, we came back to Baghdad. But I, I, our town was just not, not the same anymore, you know. Even after the, uh, everything settled, we tried to go back to school. My mum tried to go back to work. But it just wasn't the same. It was unsafe. 
Um, there, there was still a lot of resistance to the Americans, obviously. Um, there was lots of sectarian um, and militia wars. And that made it really, really unsafe, especially for, you know, being a woman and being young girls. That's, you know, an extra layer of um, danger and violence. Um, and, it, you know, the decision to leave was really, really hard because, you know, that's, that's all we know. We, me and my sisters had never left Iraq before. Um, and, it, you know, we have a family, our friends, um, absolutely everything. And, it, you know, having to leave all of that behind was just really difficult. But I remember it was the middle of the night and we, we just decided to go, to pack up. Um, and, you know, my mum woke us up from sleep and we basically, were, um, you know, packed up just little things that we can fit in the car. We didn't take family photos. We didn't take any of the stuff that really meant a lot to us because we thought that we would be back. We thought that leaving Baghdad would be something temporary and that we would be able to go back home because we were sure that things would go back to normal. But here we are 15 years later. <laughs> they're just getting worse and worse in, in Iraq. Um, and we just left in the middle of the night. Um, we, we, I remember there were... There's a strange man who came to our house. I had no, not seen him before and he was really formal and he had a lot of papers with him. Um, so in, in Iraq at the time, there was no government, so we couldn't get passports, we couldn't get um, any travel documents to, to uh, prove that we're Iraqi and to prove, you know, travel validly. Um, so, so that was another challenge because when we came to Australia, we didn't have any passports. <laughs> um, and... It was then that we sort of got in the car and, and we, we drove in the middle of the night and we went to Jordan and we were in Jordan for a couple of months and then we applied to come to Australia. Um, my dad was in Australia already. So my dad had a different journey to us. Um, my dad escaped Iraq in the late 90s, so during Saddam's... Um, the, ..during the dictatorship. Um, and he escaped after being conscripted to join Saddam's army as an army doctor. So my dad was a surgeon. And being an army doctor means that he would, you know, commit torture or cover up torture. So he didn't obviously want to be a part of that. So he, he fled. And it's interesting because he left Iraq and he didn't tell us that he left Iraq because we would get in trouble if we knew that he had left. Um, because it was a you know, heavily controlled dictatorship. Like, if you've ever read 1984, that's pretty much w what it is. Um, and I hated that book in school, not just because we had to read it, but because, you know, it was actually reality that, like, that, that we lived in. Um, so he left Iraq in the late 90s and he took a boat from Malaysia uh, to Australia and he was in, in detention. So I feel like my dad's experience was just, you know, completely different and... and some ways more, more difficult, but also e easier. But all, yeah, it's hard to hard to tell. But you know, here we here we are now. You know, fifteen fifteen years later, and we haven't been able to go back to Iraq. Um, it, it is unsafe, and we, but I've been lucky to be able to call Australia home since then. Yeah, I completely like get that feeling um, of like uh, you know Iraq or Syria being the only home that you know, and especially like at such a young age, like. Um, yeah, me and Maya, we left to we left Syria when we were ten as well. Um, and I remember thinking, like, oh my god, like, why are we leaving? You know, because nothing had happened around Aleppo during that time a lot, and we we were kind of just oblivious as ten year olds. We just wanted everything to go back to normal, really. Um, and and yeah, like you know, yeah, we weren't that, aware yeah. of like our surroundings. We just. We didn't have a lot of electricity and during that time my parents and I would like discuss, yeah, we might, you know, move to Australia, how yeah. would you feel about that? And I was like, oh yeah, just like a journey, we'll probably be back, I don't know, a few yeah. years in Australia, just till til everything settles down. Because all we knew about was like whispers of like the adults saying, oh, it's gonna just going to get worse. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I completely get you, where you're coming yeah. from. 100%. Yeah, when you're a child, it's completely different. Like uh, it, yeah. it's somewhat, it's easy, in some ways it's easier because yeah. you don't, you don't yeah. actually know how bad it is. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. true. We were lucky to get that kind of aspect being, of being children in, you know, in a country like that. But, um, so, um, what do you I think... I see who's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, what do you think is the, the biggest difference, in your opinion, between um, Iraq and Melbourne? Or Baghdad? 
Oh, I think I think it's uh, world, worlds apart in some ways, but but also not. Like, um, I often you know get people who think of refugees as like people who haven't seen cars or haven't seen you know like yeah. just come from another planet. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's not that different. <laughs> um, but I think the biggest difference or the biggest difficulty of adjusting in Australia was the community and the how in Iraq you. Know, you have you you're surrounded by your family, by your yeah. cousins, by your neighbours. Neighbours are such a big part of of our lives in Iraq, and in Australia, it's a lot different. Um, you know, you have to really go out of your way to get to know your neighbours, and it's it's just not the same. Yeah. Um, you know, it, yeah, every, everything is done with with your family, with your community, and it's just so close knit. Yeah. Um, but, but but that's very different in Australia. Um, I agree. Hundred percent. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, for me in in, in this project, um, I really want the story and the and the project to be a com- uh, um, led by the community and for it to be a community story and um, for, for people to feel like they own the story and they own the project and and yeah, for it to be sort of bring people together and yeah. unite people and get people excited about supporting refugees and about being part of of, an, of a new movement where we are reclaiming the voices of people uh, people who sought asylum here. Yep. Love that. Um, Fadak, what was the biggest challenge that you faced when settling into Australia? Um, I think having to start from zero. So yep. what I was talking about, you know, the difficulty in making the decision in leaving, um, it's difficult because you, you have to come to a new country and, and start from scratch. And I think that a lot of people who have migrated to Australia, not just refugees, do probably do share that experience. Um, but I think for a refugee, it's a, a lot less planned. <laughs> so, you know, you, you're, you're sort of a, a, another step backwards. Um, but having to start from zero, whether it be, you know, in, in finding jobs or um, in, uh, you know, b- b- finding friends and building networks and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think, I mean, I face that, like, t- today. Like, I don't, if I, you know, in achieving my goals and my dreams as a young person, I don't have the connections that um, other people might have. I don't have um, the, as much as, you know, a financial um, uh, base um, just because, you know, we had to come here and my parents don't really have much to support me with, and, you know. And yeah. yeah, just having to start from zero, but, al- but also that community um, spirit that, that we, we don't have here in Australia yep. and how that 100%. makes life a lot more challenging and, and different and you have to find other ways of coping and other ways of, um, you know, li- living, living mm-hmm. here. Yeah. yeah, I completely get you. Yeah, like, we're the same person, legit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah. not, there's no point of this talk there. This is <laughs> okay. Um, so, when I ask, this is yours. Um, all right. Okay. Now that we've gotten to know you a little bit more, for Dak, we just want to know what inspired you to become a lawyer and a re- refugee advocate. Yep. <laughs> Love it. Um, I think having been through. Um, having been through war, having been through the experience that I've been through, you, you, you're really forced to be political. You can't choose to not be interested in, in politics and in the way things work and in human rights and injustice and that sort of stuff because even as a child you, you start asking questions like, why is this happening to me and, and why is this happening to my family? And why is it happening to begin with, right? And... I mean, I mean, I remember as a young person, you know, having like putting a lot of blame on, you know, and really believing conspiracy theories <laughs> as like answers to what, it, what what has happened. So essentially, like the war and that sort of stuff. But you know, go, growing up and actually realizing that it's you know a systemic problem, whether it be political or you know corporate or um, yeah, what whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, you really have no choice but to be political and to be interested in justice and in f- fulfilling that and, and in mm-hmm. achieving it. And that really where it started from. I mean, my family in Iraq were were people who rose up against the dictatorship quite a lot. Um, and I gr- grew up seeing, seeing that and, and witnessing it. Um, even though I was young and I didn't really understand it a- as much, but... Um, 
living in a dictatorship that is heavily controlled, um, there were many family members who were exiled as a result of, you know, um, tr trying to topple the regime or yeah. trying to cause havoc, essentially. Yeah. Um, growing up with that and... But also growing... Like, I feel like my parents were really inspirational in the choices that they've made. So for my dad to decide to leave and to take a stance against um, being in the army... Um, that's not something that's easily done, that, and that poses a huge risk to him and to his family, to us. Um, but also you, the, the choices that my mother made, which is the opposite, to, to continue life in Iraq and to be as apolitical as she, as she could be because she chose to live there and to, to be with her family and to be surrounded for, by her family. Mm -hmm. um, but then making the choice to leave and supporting us through that, that was really difficult. Um, so to, to really sum it up is that <laughs> I had no choice. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always had questions about why certain things happened and why they happened to a certain group of people and, and not to others. I feel like injustice is actually really, like, obvious. It yeah. obviously happens to marginalised groups, to groups that might not have much financially or might live from, you know, a certain part of the world or might look a certain way. Yeah. And injustice is something that can be preventable and that we can make change and yeah. that that really what inspired me to, to become a lawyer and what inspired me to be here tonight um, is that what's happening in in our in our current political um, d dynamic whether it be um, in government or um, public discourse that's something that we can change it's not something that we have to live with and being here tonight, we are, we are changing that. This is this is the first step to create change, and, and, and change at a at a level where we can start believing that refugees are actually just like us. And I know all of you know that. That's why you're here tonight. <laughs> but we need you to go out there and to actually spread that message. Like, don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Um, people care about refugees, but they think that they are the only ones who care about refugees. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's something that we need to need to change, yeah. Definitely. 100%. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And as you said, like, becoming interested in all, you know, like, politics at such a young age, I agree with that because, like, I've always wondered about Syria's, you know, political stance and, and I really wanted to learn more about it because I had no idea what was going on at such a young age and now that I'm, like, actually taking part of this and, mm -hmm. you know, studying global politics at, you know, my year level... Mm -hmm and wanting to study at a university, it really did, you know, inspire me to study that. 100%. Um, so, in your own words, why do you think it's important that we put a human face to the untold stories of courage of a lot of ref refugees? Um, I think pe pe people like Peter Dutton and other government ministers, who we all love very much, um, <laughs> have really have had it easy because they have they, they have been able to really dehumanize and distance refugees and to make them look like they're not like us um and to make the refugee word a, a dirty word essentially um and it, it's so sad that we have to be in this position and i have to travel the country to prove that i'm human and to prove that I also deserve a safe home and that I also d deserve respect. I shouldn't have to do that, yep. right? And I know that all of you tonight and lots of Australians do believe that and they do know that. But the, the problem lies in that we don't, we don't have the, the power, we don't have the resources to um, let, let our government know and, and get them, put, put pressure on them to essentially make the policies a lot better for refugees and people seeking asylum. Um, for me, I want to put a refugee voice, name and story... Sorry, a, a real person's story to the refugee um, narrative because I want to make people like Peter Dutton scared to create a policy or a law that affects refugees. Like, I want to empower Australians and to be, um, to, to have, you know, all these resources and power and courage and resources from each other and unite 
so that we can make someone like Peter Dutton so scared that he was going to lo lose votes and he's just not going to have his position anymore because that's really all, the, all that he cares about. Um, and that, that's where we have to be right now. That, that's, that's where we're at. Um, and, we, yeah, we have to start at, at... Unfortunately, we are in a position... We've sort of been pushed into a corner and we have to fight back with, with kind words, with um, uh, uh, proving to the nation that we are just like them and that we do deserve that respect and dignity. Um, and I don't think it's too difficult to do that because... From my journey, from my tour that I've been doing, doing so far, you know, people are really empathetic. They, they care about, um, you know, they, they want to hear what I've been through and what others have been through. Because you can't deny what a, a refugee experience. You can sit there and deny the UN Convention or, you know, other laws, but you can't deny someone's story and what they've been through. You can't deny that everybody deserves respect, dignity and safety, right? And, that, and that's really, really powerful because someone like an expert or a lawyer can't do that. But someone like us can. Definitely. Peter Dutton, I hope you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Better be scared, I'm coming for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, the tax coming for you. Um, so, why do you think that the intake of refugees in Australia is so low? Yeah. It could be more. <laughs> so that's the other um, face of my campaign. So not only do I want to um, share stories, my story and other refugee stories, but I also want to increase the annual refugee intake. Um, and I've been tossing and turning about the number of 44,000 because um, of a little bit of research that goes behind that number um, as being a, a number that is like the, the base, like a, the least that Australia should be doing and could be doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, I remember I was in, in Istanbul in February for the International Refugee Congress. Yep. And we were sort of um, creating, like, policy papers that we would take to the UNHCR for recommendations yep. um, or to act as recommendations. And a big thing that the UNHCR ha has is called responsibility sharing, which is, like, a, a concept of, um, you know, tackling, essentially, the, the refugee if you want to call it right now. Um, and when you think about what, what is Australia doing in terms of responsibility sharing, probably not that much, you know, in, in comparison to what we, what we could be doing. So at the moment, our intake is, is at 13,750 per year, yep. um, which, you know, considering our population, our GDP, our um, space that we've got, um, it's it's not it's not a lot, and we can we can be we should be doing a lot better than that, and that's what I want to call for. So, I've been doing a bit of work with the Refugee Council of Australia to help me write my ask. So when I eventually later in the year when I do have meetings with politicians and ask them for that intake, so that I sort of have some policy to to yeah. back me up with, and some things that I want to um, include in that intake increase. Um, this is a secret, don't tweet it, <laughs> um, is things like, um, you know, cl closing offshore detention and bringing people from offshore detention to Australia, mm -hmm. helping people who are stuck in transition countries like Malaysia, like Indonesia, to be part of, of, of that intake and to, to come to Australia permanently. Because in, in these countries, there's not as much support um, and, you know, people obviously can't go back home and it's... Yeah, they're just sort of stuck there. They can't go to school. They can't work. Um, and uh, I want Australia to have a regional response. So there's a lot of regional crisis happening at the moment, like in, in um, Myanmar that we're hearing about, um, but also, you know, potentially, you know, there's conflict happening that was happening in the Philippines or um, yeah, that sort of stuff. So, so for us to have a regional response. Um, and I also want to... Part of that intake is to assist... Um, nations that are having crisis at the moment, like Syria or Iraq. Yep. Um, and finally, um, you know, there are lots of people who've been in refugee camps for a long time. Um, and, that, you know, they've been waiting for a long time and, and I'd like to be able to include that in the intake as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, for me, the intake solves a lot of problems yep. um, and offers... It's, it's a solution, you know. I'm going around 
to, you know, meeting with government officials to present them with a solution, not a problem. Um, and, I've, you know, I've got it planned, um, you know, I wanted to have it figured out so that I can have that solution and present it to them. Um, yeah. Um, how do you aim to fight for refugee rights and continue to advocate for change? So what do you have for the future after this campaign? Yeah. Or during this campaign? Yeah. It's up to you. <laughs> um, go on a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> I think you deserve one after all this work. Um, I'd really like to work on um, preventing refugee displacement to begin with. Um, and that's obviously another, you know, completely other f facet, um, you know, fighting, you know, arms trade and, fight, you know, ensuring that there are, there's no violence and conflict happening is really difficult and probably almost, you know, impossible yeah. to achieve. But that's um, ideally where I'd like to be working so that we don't have to have those conversations anymore, so that we don't have to um, w worry and, and have to look for solutions to, to support people who are displaced and for people who not to be displaced in the, in the first place. Um, and I think Australia, a country like Australia, has a, has a very big part to play because what I alluded to earlier, like, I mean, Australia was part of the invasion of Iraq and that was an illegal war and we all know that, it's, that it was a bad idea and that shouldn't yeah. have happened and it was based on, on lies. Um, don't tweet that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, it sh shouldn't have happened in the, in the first place. And I want to be part of preventing these things from from happening. Um, yeah, which, you know, I'll, it'll mean that I'll have to fight big corporations and leaders. and <laughs> So I don't know how, how to make that happen, but um, it, it's a goal. <laughs> okay, so um, what's one moment or experience that you've had with this campaign that you'll cherish forever? I, th I thought about this when, when you gave me the questions. <laughs> um, and th there were so many experiences, but the, the biggest one that I, I remember is receiving an email from another young refugee woman and her telling, you know, in her email saying that she, she had always been ashamed of calling herself or referring to herself as a refugee and that seeing someone else speak about their experience and share their experience had made her, has given her, you know, so much confidence and has ex sort of explained to her what, 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 you know, her own sort of story in a way, like put it in context. Yep. Um, and it was just so powerful to be able to you know, um, connect with someone who I've, who I've never met and for them to really be touched by, by my story um, and it, it, that, that's what it's about. Like, it's about um, supporting people with lived experience who have, have had, that, that, had that experience, same experience as, as me. It's different in so many ways, but it's, it's still the same. And, I mean, I grew up being ashamed of referring to myself as a, as a refugee. And it wasn't until I started working in the space that I started to realise, oh, actually, that's what we went through. And it's sad. Like, I... Part of why I'm doing this is that I don't want refugee children to be ashamed of being refugees, right? Yep. Um, I, I want it to be a, a word of empowerment, a word of self-actualisation, yep. um, because it's 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 a powerful thing to, to go through. It's um, you, you know we are some of the most resilient people in the world, and we we deserve to own that word and to own our experiences. Yep, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I reckon, like, before Sarah and I started our podcast, I was really scared to share my story. I remember, like, in primary school, whenever the teacher used to ask us about our background, I would always say I'm Australian every single time. Or, like... Middle Eastern. Middle Eastern, you know. So they couldn't guess the country or something. <laughs> um, but never Syrian. And, yeah, after, like, after, you know, conducting so many interviews yeah. uh, with really inspiring refugees, it really helped Sarah and I get the courage to share our own story. And that's why we're here today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. oh, okay. Yeah, that's all right. Um, what's the most important lesson that you've learned so far within this campaign? <laughs> I know it's like early launch of it, but <laughs> anything that uh, you I remember one day we're actually doing long before we put any material out in public. It was our like planning phase. 
And I remember we had an external consultant come and help us for free, which was awesome. Um, and he brought in some research um, that, that he showed us that I, w I almost fell off my chair. Um, <laughs> so it was research around, and he, he actually made us guess, like he asked us, like, what, what do you think is the percentage of people who support multiculturalism and diversity in Australia? And we were like, oh, 30, 40. And then he showed us surveys that, that he had brought in with him and, and reliable ones. And they were like around the 70% mark. And it, because it's very relevant to our campaign um, and, and to, to what we're doing at the moment, like it, it just shocked me like as to it's the opposite of what we're seeing in our public co conversation. And that's a huge problem. Like what what is happening that we we don't see diversity, like people on TV don't, look like they're from all over the world. Um, our, our politicians look, you know, don't look like from, you know, don't rep represent us demographically. Um, and obviously our policies are going down in terms of refugees, but also diverse communities. Like, you know, we've, we, we've seen, um, you know, Peter Dutton insult, um, you know, the African communities, the Le yeah. Lebanese communities and, and their settlements in Australia. and. Yeah, it, it's just, yeah, I mean, re seeing that research, I, I, I was just so shocked yeah. that res the results on the ground did not match what we saw in our public discourse and in, in our politics, I think. Definitely. And, but that also gave me the confidence to, you know, to, yeah, to start this because I know that the support is there. I just have to find it. I have to mobilise it. I have to get people, that, that 70 or whatever percent, it is have to get them excited and because that's powerful and what we have in, in parliament like Peter Dutton that's not and, and we can easily fight that we can easily um you know unite and and and, and get positive outcomes okay so on a bit of a lighter note <laughs> um what's an embarrassing experience that you've had you know when you've arrived in Melbourne <laughs> um <laughs> I also tried to think really hard about this. <laughs> Maybe they were so embarrassing that my brain blocked them out, but I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't really remember. But I mean, I remember, and we had this conversation around like bringing you know, ethnic food to oh, school. Yes. <laughs> Today, um, like, you know, when first starting school and not, not knowing that everybody brings a sandwich and you have to bring a sandwich. <laughs> I'm bringing, like, my 100 containers of, like, all these <laughs> things that, <laughs> that my mum packed for me. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I remember bringing, like, kubba, which you, you yeah, guys have as kubba. well, which is, like, um, like they're rice balls that have minced meat and, and nuts and lots of spices inside that you fry. Um, and, you know, the, the, the smell and yeah. <laughs> the look, it's just... It doesn't look like something you want to eat, but it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember like being embarrassed, like bringing sm smelly lunches. Mm -hmm. um, but I think th through time, like you know, my, my teachers and students around me like really gave me that confidence to um, continue bring bring my ethnic lunches. And I remember thinking, why would my mum not give me a sandwich? Everyone's got a sandwich. <laughs> But things have changed now, and now everyone loves Middle Eastern food. And I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Every time, like nowadays at high school, I bring ethnic food to school Just to show off, <laughs> and everyone's like, "Oh my god, what's that? It looks so good!" And I'm like, "Yep, that's that's my food." <laughs> yeah, but in primary school as well, like as you said. Um, and just like bringing like different food and pronouncing words wrong. Like I literally did that in class today. Like it still happens. It's still a little bit embarrassing, but you know, it's 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 who I am and you've got to be yeah. proud of and that. And like Aussie slang. Oh, I, I will can't. never learn. I yeah. will never <laughs> learn. I can't. Someone texted me something and I literally had to Google what it meant. <laughs> like what? Well, what it? it was like someone said, oh, that, that kid was postal. And I was like, what does postal even mean? Yeah, it's not even Aussie slang. <laughs> I don't even know what slang it is, but it, may, it meant crazy information. <laughs> Thanks, Google. But yeah. um, okay. Actually, um, a friend of mine had this experience where his 
his dad bought Vegemite and bought Vegemite at home and thinking it was jam or Nutella or something. (laughs) And he opened it and he smelled it and he's like, oh, this is off. (laughs) And he took it back to the shops. Like, oh oh my God. (laughs) And the person at the counter was also a a migrant. And he he smelled it and he's like, yeah, this is off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. You know, we joked about bringing, like, Vegemite here and having you try it and, like, try yeah. it. Like, well, because I actually like it. I don't know what, what part of me likes it, but I like it. No. We have to put it, like, good ratio of butter, good toast, <laughs> just just a little bit, not too much, and then and then it will actually be enjoyable. Oh, but it's just salt. <laughs> no. Yeah. It doesn't work with me. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> So, um, for that, what, what are the next steps um, of this campaign for you? Um, raise money. <laughs> um, so, at the moment, we've got our, our crowdfunder um, out. So, we're aiming to raise $10,000. That will help us um, travel around, hopefully, for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, but also make a documentary. So, the idea is that I'll be sharing my story and collecting other refugee stories and make a, document, a documentary out of it so that we can you know, showcase it. Um, around different parts of Australia, um, and, and then I want to I want to really focus on that in, intake aspect of things, um, and actually, you know, mobilise groups um, and you know lobby government essentially to, to increase the annual refugee intake because I think that's you know that that's that solution in in my opinion um, because mm. it covers a lot of um, areas of, of policy that we need right now. Um, but yeah, at the moment, I'm focusing on changing the narrative, on reclaiming our stories, um, so that people like Peter Dutton are afraid to make false claims about refugees, um, whatever community they come from, yep. and that we are the ones who speak for our, our communities, for ourselves, for our yep. experiences, and that everyone knows a refugee. Like, I'm putting myself out there and I'm saying, I want everyone to meet me, I want everyone every Australian to know a refugee. And I mean, it's a very difficult thing to come here and to talk about something so personal, um, but I think it's important. I think it's important that we, um, you know, every Australian knows a refu- about a refugee's life mm-hmm. um, and knows them personally. Like, I, I know a lot of the people who are here tonight um, yep. and that's really powerful because if you knew me and you, if, if let's say my life was in danger... Um, or I was at danger of being deported, you're going to be the first people to, to help, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine every Australian knew a refugee and how powerful that could be. Yep. Now I think we're going to end this off with one last question. Um, what's one thing you wish more people knew about refugees and their experience? Um, I think that we all have different experiences. Like, we all have different stories. We all came at different times. We all came to Australia in, in a different way. Um, and we, all, we are all affected by it differently. Like, I'm, you know, I, I often talk about my story. And, the, I mean, the reason why I want to collect other stories is that it's not just about me and what, what I went through. Like, there are so many different experiences. Um, and it's important not to, to just th- think of it as, as one where we are all different from different parts of the world. And this could happen to any of us, like... It's just about where you know where you were born and the timing, but this could have happened to any of you here tonight, and that's important to remember. It's just an, an experience, um, and and a big thing that's happening at the at the moment, like refugees are becoming like scapegoats for a lot of things. Like people are thinking, oh, I'm driving to work, and then there's so many road dri- um, cars on the road, and it's because we have a migration yep. problem. There's so many people coming, to, you know. And, I don't think that's the problem. Like, the problem is, is planning and that pe- pe- more people are moving to cities yep. um, rather than regional areas. And, um, yeah, so I think being a scapegoat is, is ha- has worked for politicians for a long time, like having us as scapegoats. Um, and, that, and it's time that we say no more and that we, you know, fight against that, yeah. Perfect. What, what would you change about... Um, what, what would you wish that people knew? Um, why are you looking at me? <laughs> no, uh, I think 
I think people need to understand, as you said, that refugees are humans and they have stories. And also one thing that I've noticed while doing the show was that people think refugees, migrants and asylum seekers just get things handed to them, like they get things easily. But yeah. actually, that is completely the opposite. People that I've met and I've had the pleasure of, you know, sharing your story, sharing uh, your sister's story as well... Um, you guys work so, so hard to be where you are. Nothing has been handed to you, you know. You've worked so hard to be here um, and to achieve all these things and you're doing that and you're giving back to the community and I just wish more people knew that, yeah. But, but that is a problem as well, is that, like, a lot of Australians are struggling at the moment. Like, a lot of people are, you know, finding it hard to find, you know, secure work. Like, uh, housing is a big issue at the moment and th things are becoming more difficult. But I think I, it's absolutely not you know, anything to yep. do with refugees or one group against the other. Yep. You know, it's a s systemic problem. It's something that we have to change at a, at a lead leadership level and um, ensure that everyone pays taxes. And <laughs> <laughs> Can you be the MP, please? <laughs> Just do it. I'll vote. I'm not 18 yet, but I'll vote. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's it. Yep. Well, Thank you so much. Can we please give a big round of applause? How incredible was that? Um, honestly, so, so inspiring. Thank you so much, Fedek, Sarah and Maya for sharing such personal stories and so for being so resilient and strong and for, for being such amazing people and sharing your story. It's so important. And to, to echo your words, you know, you, you all here today, we can make change. And... Um, to, to go out there and to continue to spread the word and give back and help others and make Peter Dutton scared, you know? Yep. You can all do it. Um, it is. Hashtag <laughs> make Peter Dutton scared. Um, but thank you so much. Um, while you're there, could you please, uh, volunteers, um, get the questions? We're just going to pick them out of a hat. We do apologise. There's a lot of you and not much time, but there is plenty of time afterwards to mingle, to meet Fedek and the lovely ladies um, and ask them questions directly. Could we get volunteers' questions? Yeah, we'll, we'll have one quick question while we're there. Yep. Firstly, um, well done, girls. Great job tonight uh, for being so young to do what you're doing. It's super impressive. Well done. Thank you very much. Fadak, thank you for sharing your personal journey and story. It's, uh, again, um, very uh, inspiring for you to share that with us. Um, I'm a very pragmatic person, so I'm going to ask you a pragmatic question if I could. You made reference to, for example, regional areas of Australia, and I know that you're going to Bendigo to share your story this week as well. We've just had a group of refugees uh, located in Armidale, up in northern New South Wales. What's your own view with regard to actually refugees um, being located in regional parts of Australia? Um, there has been a lot of that through the Chev visa, the, so the safe haven Something, something. What's that? Enterprise. What's the V for? Visa. <laughs> <laughs> um, where, where people were settled in Australia but have, had to be settled in regional areas and they weren't, like, it was mandatory to, to stay and live there. And, I mean, in my research for this project, like, there were so many stories of... Um, re refugee communities settling in regional towns all around Australia and actually making those communities come to life. Like, and that's exactly why the settlement in Armadale has happened because all, you know, most people are moving to the cities, um, especially young people, and these towns are, d are dying, um, you know, metaphorically and literally as well, <laughs> um, that... You know, whether it be, you know, businesses that are not making money, where it was it would be, like, just lack of young people, lack of life in town. Um, and it's it's refugee and migrant communities that have helped bring those towns to life. That's part of the storytelling, isn't it? Exactly, exactly, yeah. And that's why I want to speak at regional towns and um, connect with regional towns because that's, you know, it's such a community spirit. It's so close-knit. Um, and 
there are so many examples of that happening here. And it happens in metro cities too, but I guess lots is happening that we don't really hear about it as much and it's not as powerful. Um, yeah, but... It, and the government knows that. Like, we have hundreds of thousands of migrants who come to Australia every single year. And they know the benefits of migration and financially to, to you know, and economy into our business um, and growth. You know, but they're out there, you know, talking about how migration is bad and we have to limit m migration and or, because, you know, it's scapegoat. But really, in theory, we have so many migrants coming to our countries each year, you know. Thanks for the question. Um, so I've just been told that don't worry, all your questions will be answered personally by FADEC online, um, social media, so if your question doesn't get asked tonight, um, make sure you uh, at tag her and ask any other questions as well. We've got them on paper. Yeah, we've got on paper as well. So uh, this one's for FADEC and for you two ladies as well. What's one thing that Australian government or community could have done better to support you um, to when you arrived here in Australia in settlement? I think that's different to each person and to their story. But, like, for my family, um, we actually didn't receive any, any, like, structured support. Like, there was no, you know, now people have, like, caseworkers and um, have organised, like, a lot more organisations that help, but... For my family, it, it wasn't like that at all. Like, we didn't receive any, um, any, any support, really, apart from a community level. So, we had um, neighbours, teachers, people from our um, own cultural community b being the, the, the base of, of, of our support in, in, our, in our settlement in Australia. Um, and, I, I mean, I've talked about this before. Like, there's a lot of talk about, you know, when refugees come and settle in Australia, they settle within their cultural communities. And like, you know, within certain cultural groups and, and locations, and I think that's that's actually really important. Like, it's important for people to live within their community when they do first arrive here, because it's a different country, and you you need, you need the support of your community, and it's actually really really hard yep. uh, in so many ways. And I mean, for my family, it was you know lots of little things and lots of big things, like you know finding a house. Well, where do we live? Where do we find? How do we find jobs? And um, and um, as or very simple, like you know, taking money out of the bank and you know, how to do that here in Australia. Yeah. Um, and you, you, yeah, you need your own community here, and um, yeah. that's how it was for, for our family. But I know that that's different for everyone. Yeah, I guess for both of us, when we settled here, um, I feel like my family we didn't really. We never really knew about how many resources were available for us to, you know, use and exhaust. Like, we didn't know about AIMS or ASRC. Um, and I feel like when refugees and asylum seekers and migrants settle here, like, the government and people around them should let them know that there are resources there for them to use and that will benefit them overall. So, yeah, I, I don't think, like, yeah, we kind of just, like, turned a blind eye to that. And people thought that, you know, when people settle in Australia, they'll... Like, everyone just thought someone else would do it, would let them know about these organisations. But, yeah, we never really knew about them until we started, you know, our podcast, yeah. And I think, like, we've seen a lot of problems now, like, that communities that weren't supported in their settlement. Like, sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. And we've seen a lot of problems arise, you know, in, in the last few years where yep. communities actually weren't supported at their point of settlement in Australia and were just sort of brought here without any support. So that that creates issues as well. Absolutely. You make a really good point. My, when my parents came here, the biggest thing was um, not knowing where to go um, and they yep. still don't know where to go. Um, <laughs> so we haven't done such a great job. Um, and my parents still uh, don't know how to use an ATM because, you know, no one taught them. To, oh, they refuse to learn as well. But <laughs> it goes two ways. But, um, yeah, great, well, that was a great question. So whoever asked that. Um, and the next one's for you, Fadak. Um, which town or city do you want to go um, to further this campaign and why? Um, well, I'm actually really excited about going to Bendigo on Thursday, this Thursday, as our, as our first stop. I'm actually planning to do more work there later on. Um, and why I'm excited, actually, be is because I did my first year of uni in Bendigo and I lived in Bendigo for a year, um, which not many people know this 
fact about me. Um, but it's re- it'll be really nice to go back um, and, yeah, just work with the community, with networks that I've um, connected with, with over there. Um, and it, for me, it was a mixed experience. It was positive, but, you know, I mean, I, mean, I faced a lot of racism being in Bendigo. So it's interesting to see how things have changed and, yeah, re- really to do a lot of work there. I think I'm definitely excited about that. We're very excited for you to be um, going out to regional and rural communities. I think we all know how important it is that, you know, that a lot of communities there have never met a a person of colour or, you know, a refugee before. So, well done. It's a very incredibly brave thing to do. I wouldn't put my hand up for it. So, um, good on you for doing that, um, Fadek. And the next one, I think, for all three of you, um, what gives you hope and has given you hope through all these hardships? Can I go first? Um, I think for me, I think hearing the stories that we share on our podcast, that's probably the main thing. Like as Maya said, when we, when, before we started everything and we got ourselves into to all of this, um, we, we were even afraid of sharing our own story and telling people what, where we are from. Um, but what gives me hope is hearing people's success, knowing about it, seeing it um, here tonight. And, um, and it gives me hope that there are people who are willing to listen. There are people who are willing to share people's stories. And I think um, that is so, so important to do. Like storytelling, yes, it might not be the biggest thing in the world, but it's, it's my way of changing the world. And, and if, if, you know, if I can do that and if I'm privileged enough to do that and volunteer at amazing places like Sin Media, then, then I'm going to do that. Yeah, so it gives me hope. little shout-out for Sin Media. Um, yeah. Lindsay? <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely agree what, with Sarah. So, like, she took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> um, the thing that really gives me hope, and this is going to sound really cheesy, but you being here tonight, honestly, because, I, you know, this is a very difficult thing to do, to go out there and to talk about something so personal. But you being here tonight and caring about it, like, you know, six months ago, a month ago, nobody cared about my story or listening to it. But you being here tonight is honestly what gives me hope that we can change the way things are right now. Absolutely. Um, And on to our last question, unfortunately, for tonight, and that's for you, Fadek. The news doesn't tell us much about what's happening in Iraq today. Um, So do you still have contact with many people uh, back in Iraq? And uh, what's the situation like right now? Um, most of my family is in Iraq um, at the moment, although we've had a few family members also escape in the recent years. Um, so we also have family in, in Europe and, and in the US. Um, but yes, I have a very big family <laughs> and most of them are still in Iraq, in, in Baghdad in particular, which is the capital city. Um, last time I was in Iraq was in 2014, which was an interesting time because that's when, as you might know... Um, ISIS was gaining control of northern Iraq and where they were very close to Baghdad. And I remember me and my mum, we booked our tickets earlier in the year, we were, you know, before any of that stuff happened. And then we were thinking about whether we would go back or not um, because we were wanting to visit my grandpa who was ill. And obviously it's a ver- you know, very dangerous time and we had no idea what would happen because ISIS was very powerful at the time or at least they seemed like it. But we ended up going to Iraq anyway, um, and I've lived to tell the tale. <laughs> um, and things it, things were really difficult to, to, to see. Like there, there's so much damage from the invasion that still exists, like infrastructural damage, like literal and also systemic. Um, and it's really heartbreaking. Like I, I came back very you know, d- depressed about seeing my country like that because I would assume that they've made progress and they've been able to rebuild, but th- that hasn't really happened that much. And we still see the effects of war, um, you know, around, around us every day. A lot, a lot of people had gone through, obviously, trauma. A lot of people are, like, in, in survival mode 24-7 and it, that's just not a healthy way for anyone to be. Um, and, I mean, I remember one time me and my, my cousin, we went out and we were just walking down the street and I remember hearing gunshots in the distance and I was like, oh, what? <laughs> I haven't, haven't heard that for a while, like being in Australia. And, you know, my cousin 
was like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, let's just go out and keep walking. And to him, it, it felt like it's normal. That's what he hears every day. But that's what people live with. Like, imagine that you're hearing bombs and gunshots every single day. So it's not safe. And it's really sad, like, as I alluded to before, like, being in Australia, who was part of the invasion and who was part of the damage caused to Iraq and, and living here, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's really sort of tears me apart, really. Like. Well, thank you so much, Fedek, Sarah, Maya, for sharing your incredible stories and, and being so brave and resilient and being here today to, to really share the story of um, reclaiming the voices for refugees. So, um, you know, fortuitous timing, not really. Refugee Week, um, do make sure you do follow um, Meet Fedex page um, as well as Road to Refuge page and the lovely refugees um, on air or on Twitter. Um, please do follow them, support them, support the... Um, is it the... Uh, uh, what's the um, fundraising page called? Uh, it's on Chuffed. And if you follow our social media, you'll, you'll find it. Or if you just Google my name, you probably will find it. Um, but I'd really like if everyone can, you know, take a photo tonight with me or just of the audience and, and tweet it with the hashtag Meet Fedek just to get the word out there. It is Refugee Week. It's very topical right now. So, you know talking about reclaiming stories and reclaiming the voices of people with lived experience and, and where you were tonight. Um, yeah, that would be really good. And thank you so much for coming. No, thank you. Can we please get a big round of applause to the lovely ladies? Um, and, and that officially concludes our night. Thanks again to uh, the team Mesma. Big round of applause to Mesma for supporting us. Uh, Road to Refuge team working hard behind there. Um, please do stick around. We're going to pack a few chairs, but do stick around uh, just to make more room. And, yes, take photos with Fedek, hashtag meet Fedek, and make this go viral. Thank you so much. <laughs>